Welcome to the Veterinary Pulse podcast. My name is Jordan Benchia. I'm the executive director of the VIN Foundation. Veterinary Pulse is the heartbeat of the profession. Join us as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics from student debt to mental health and share stories. Stories connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible through individual donors like yourself and our technology partnership with VIN, the Veterinary Information Network. Thank you for being here. This episode, VIN Foundation board member, Dr. Matt Holland is having a conversation with Ross fourth-year veterinary student, Junior St. Pro. Listen in as they discuss the importance of believing in yourself, how role models are critical for success, and Junior's view of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the veterinary profession. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Thank you for listening. All right, well, welcome, Junior. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, anytime, anytime. Yeah, and uh, I guess my first question for me would be, um, what's your story? Where were you born and raised, and how'd you get here? Well, as you know, my name is Junior St. Prue. I'm from Orlando, Florida. Um, I went to Bethune-Cookman University, I graduated from Bethune-Cookman University out in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, that's more so my background of where I'm from. But, uh, and I went to Ross University, School of Veterinary Medicine um, afterwards, which um, brings me here. Yeah, and I, I know we, uh, we met because of um, Jonathan Dumas, and he told me that you were one of his mentors in vet school and that, um, that you were thick as Steve since the minute you met. So can you tell me how, uh, how your paths crossed? Well, uh, it was a funny situation. I was actually doing a speech I was the SABMA president for Ross University School of Veterinary Medicine at the time. And when Jonathan came in in first semester, um, at his white coat ceremony, I was the one that was doing the speech. And you saw this individual, all eyes was on this individual, you know. Um, he was a sharp, sharp man. You know, they love his beard. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time, his personality and when he walks in the room, um, kind of catches the attention of the individuals, of everyone, you know? And it wasn't until after the ceremony that we all kind of go outside, you know, we have refreshments and such, and we're able to mingle and kind of get to know the students in first semester, where a young man came up to me and he says, I want to do your, I want to do your job. I want your position. And he was, <laughs> he seemed very, very interested in the position. And in my, in my mind, you know, if we look at diversity at, um, in veterinary medicine, but let's talk about Ross University itself, I mean, it's predominantly white. And for an individual of you know, my same descent, and he's also Haitian, just like me, he's also from Florida, just like me, um, to come up to me and not know me at all, but wanting to, to progress and you know, jump into such a position as Sadma president, and he hasn't even started his first day of classes yet was very, <laughs> was very intriguing to me. And it really caught my attention. And I, I saw his, his enthusiasm and I, and just by having a simple conversation with him, you could tell there was a lot more to him and he wanted more out of life. 
and we have very similar backgrounds. So I understood, you know, I kind of saw myself in his shoes where when I was in his position, even before I came to vet school, I had no, no guidance. And because I saw a piece of myself in this individual, it made me want to pour more time and patience into this individual and teach him how, you know, how you can get to the position that I'm in and how you can make it out of the situation that we were previously in and use this position to be able to elevate yourself and help another individual afterwards. And so that's more so how I met Jonathan. I met his family at the ceremony. They were wonderful individuals. And ever since then, you know, we've just continued, we, you know, I mean, talk about that met together and just kind of flourished from there. And he is doing phenomenal and I'm proud of him. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about how, you know, you know, he caught people's attention when he walked into the room, but you were the one giving the speech. You, <laughs> you're the one who, who made it all the way to vet med uh, into a leadership position first. And, and so tell me about, you know, and you said you had similar backgrounds, but tell me about, you know, how you, how you got into veterinary school and what sparked your interest. And, you know, if there was a turning point um, that made you interested in veterinary medicine versus going a different direction? Well, with me, life had a lot of turns, twists and turns, a lot of trial and error. You know, um, my mom is from Haiti. And so she didn't really, she wasn't really able to show me, you know, well, this right here is a really good path financially. This will help you out you know, when you get older, you know, we didn't have college funds already put together for us. So um, I'm one of four. So we really had to try to figure out, you know, how we wanted to better our lives. And I ran track and field my entire life. And so I, I, I trained with Dennis Mitchell out in Claremont, Claremont Florida, and, and a lot of professional athletes such as, you know, Justin Gatlin and David Oliver. And these individuals really poured into me um, to be able to get out of the situation that I was in, which my family didn't really have much, um, you know, trying to take me from being a knucklehead on the streets to <laughs> a well-rounded individual that would be able to contribute to society. Because when we look at things, yes, when I was younger, um, I have the same cliche story. You know, you're picking up stray animals off the street and bringing them home. <laughs> you know, and getting those butt whoopings, butt whoopings from your parents <laughs> because there's a random cat in the house. There's a little bird in the house. And now, how did you catch a bird? That that seems <laughs> tough to do. Well, there's times where I'll be walking to school to the bus stop early in the morning, and you just see, you just hear a little chirp, and you open the bushes up, and there's a little bird that fell out of a tree there. And oh, okay. You know, you chase them around a little bit, you scoop them up, you bring them, you, you grab a box, run back to the house, put them in a box, and then you go to school. And then when you come back, you know, hoping the bird will still be there. But, you know, you got to dig up a couple worms. You know, when you're little, you, cartoons show you got to give the birds worms. So you go down, you dig a hole, pick up some, some worms, toss it in the box, and then put the box in your room. So when you get back home, hopefully the bird ate a little bit. <laughs> you, you come back and the bird's gone, but the butt whooping's there. Oh, yeah. Oh, the butt was in the flesh. <laughs> so, you know, but just moving from that transition, it from an early age, it made me want to care for animals, you know. But even though you say, you know, I wanna, I wanna be an animal, a doctor for animals, you don't even know the the word 
for it at the time, but you know what you want to be. But at the same time, because I was a young, you know, to be blunt, you know, to be blunt, you know, a young child in, in you know, a low income community, you don't know how to make that happen. Yeah. So you know, you want to do it, but you don't know how to make that happen. And your, your family, who's not from the, from the States, doesn't know how to make it happen for you, except, you know, just stay in school. That's what they tell you, just stay in school. So, you know, I've run and tracked my entire life. You know, my coaches poured into me and there was a time where I was just, you know, running track, but I didn't know where my life was to lead. Um, my track coaches was able to get me to some, you know, into great universities to be able to run track and field, you know, win a few, you know, win a few conference championships and such um, with, with Bethune-Cookman University. And then afterwards, I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue school. Um, I wanted to continue to run, but you know, with my family still needing things, having financial issues personally, and wanting to be able to do well for, you know, show your mother and your family that, you know, she didn't move here um, for nothing because she moved here for a better life for us. So, and also a better life for her, for herself as well. And you don't want that to go in vain. So, you know, running track, I started getting hurt afterwards after, you know, college and everything. Um, I had a frat brother that spoke to me. I'm a member of Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. He spoke to me and said, you know, well, you got good grades. You know, maybe we should go ahead and get back into the books. So I went to pharmacy school. He convinced me to go to pharmacy school. Um, I went to pharmacy school at Florida A&M University. And that's when I began to gain a realization um, because he spoke about finances and he knew what type of lifestyle I wanted to live, but I was trying to create how, what I was trying to create and also how to get there. And I think I was more so blinded by how much I could make to be able to, to create the lifestyle I wanted to live. And so I went for it. You know, just say, all right, we'll go ahead and throw an application in there. We'll see if we'll see if uh, if we get in. So we ended up getting in. And as I was going through the course, you know, I was passing pretty well. I started to realize how much I did not like pharmacy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Um, and I came to the realization that money will not bring you happiness. Mm. And if you're doing something that you truly love, the finances will follow. And the individuals that you want around you and you want, that you want to surround you to be able to create the lifestyle that you wanna live will also come um, if you're doing what you love. So I ended up leaving pharmacy school and I went to the gym one day and I'm talking to an individual that's also a part of my fraternity. And he said, I went to Ross University, the medical school now, mind you, I had never met this individual a day in my life. I was just walking to the gym with the friends just to get a workout. And I saw a brother, you know, with my same fraternity shirt on. And, you know, we kind of fraternized a little bit, fellowship together. And, he, you know, he told me a little bit about himself. I told him a bit about myself as well. And we found a common ground. And he said, well, you know what? Ross University has a veterinary school. Also, you should probably give it a, give it a try. And so I looked into it. And sure enough, you know, I went ahead and studied for the GRE um, and got into Ross University, uh, which 
at that time, I'm kind of jumping back and forth here. At that time, you know, I was a little skeptical because I just left pharmacy and now I'm going to take more time to go into another profession that I truly know that I want to do um, because I needed to think about what have I been doing in life or what can I do in life that I'll never get tired of doing? What am I passionate about? And I knew it was the field of veterinary medicine. I had no passions in pharmacy. Um, and as I was leaving pharmacy, an advisor at the school said, you would rather take care of animals than people? And the facial expression that she gave me really kind of tipped me over the edge. And, and I, you know, I thank her for this, but it pushed me to make the right life decision for myself. You're like, darn right. Yeah, that was my exact answer. <laughs> that was my exact answer. And so I think I needed that push. And pharmacy school helped me with that realization that um, while I'm at Ross University, I saw the difference. I saw the difference in my drive to study, in my drive to learn, because I wanted to learn the information. When I was learning in pharmacy school, I was learning just to get by. You know, I wasn't interested in the information. So it made it made learning hard, it made the exams hard because I didn't care for the information. But yeah, it's, it, I was just gonna say, it's like, I found um, that it's important to do what you don't like to learn what you don't like, because then you can kind of narrow it down and spend time on what you do like. Um, and, I felt the same way doing uh, a summer research internship my after first year of vet school. I <laughs> got about one week into that and was thankful it was only for a summer. <laughs> and you see, at least you got to it a lot faster than I did. It took me a, little, <laughs> it took me a few times to get punched in the face to finally say, you know, let me go ahead and just do this because you only live once. You need to find out. There's no time for what ifs. If this is not working out for you, we have no time to waste. Your family is, is you know, is rooting for you on this. And while I was in high school, I, I did a dual enrollment program uh, at Westside Technical Institute. Um, and it was for veterinary medicine, for veterinary assisting, excuse me. So I would be at the, at the tech school for half the day and the high school for the other half. And I had my friend was named Terry Barton. Well, she's an amazing individual and she still pours into me till this day, 10 years later, 11 years later now. But when I told her I was in pharmacy school and that I hated it, she says, well, Junior, I don't really know where pharmacy school came in anyways. <laughs> We've always talked about vet school. And I think my fear of taking another standardized test to get into vet school is what held me back. And so me, me ignoring my passion Going, listening to another, going into pharmacy school, kind of knocked me in the head and said, you know what, stop playing, take this exam, take this GRE test, and let's go ahead and get to where we need to be. So I went ahead and did that. And now I went to Ross University. When I got to Ross University, I was very close-minded. I'll be completely honest. I told myself, you know, I was in a lot of clubs in undergrad. I ran track and field in undergrad. A lot of my time was taken by so many things. Yes, I got the work done, but it could have been done better if I if I would divide my time or probably took a less of a load 
when I was an undergrad. And so I told myself that I would give myself that opportunity when I got into vet school. Totally opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Individuals would come to me and say, hey, there's this position on Savma. I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Locked myself in my room. I just want to study. I'm trying to get the best grades I can possible, which I still was able to do. Um, And just kind of closed myself into a corner and isolated myself, which is which was the worst thing I could have done. Um, I told an individual I didn't want to do anything. And then to turn around, um, a friend of mine, we were on um, on the beach um, in St. Kitts and Nevis. A friend of mine that came in with me saw this current Savma president, um, who was an amazing individual, on the beach. I didn't know her at the time, but the friend that I was with told her I was going to be the next Savma president as a joke. <laughs> so the current Savma president started to talk to me about this. Um, and sooner, soon enough, you know, my mindset on, on getting involved changed, you know, and, you know, the opportunities that the position was able to provide and those that I was able to pour into and the lives I was able to help with the position kind of spoke out to me. And also the individuals I saw running for the position, I didn't want to speak on my behalf in any room, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, because representation is, is big. Representation is big to me. And if someone's speaking on my behalf in a room, I think that I would want to pick that individual. I didn't see fit those in the individuals that was running for it. So I said, you know what, put my name in there. I don't know how it's going to go, but put my name in there. So I ended up, you know, becoming cyber president and my friends were very shocked because somebody's saying that they don't want to enter any clubs. They don't want any small positions, any positions anywhere to go ahead and take the whole pie was, (laughs) (laughs) was a big shock. Um, So, I mean, and, and, being in that position opened my eyes and it gave me so much opportunities to help my community, you know? And so that's how I got there and, and getting there, I'm, I was able to help and meet individuals like Jonathan and other individuals um, that came into Ross University to better, to show up, you know, how getting involved can better their future rather than just isolating and just learning information. So yeah, earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, diversity. And then you said, well, let's just keep it to Ross for now. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like, let's, let's open it up to the profession. Um, I guess a good starter question in, in this area would be, how do you define diversity? Diversity in my eyes is taking individuals from many backgrounds, walks of life, ethnicities, um, sexual orientation, all together, to be able to meet one common goal. That's diversity to me, because we are able to get different perspectives on the field through different individuals' eyes on how to better that common goal. You know, we can cover more bases um, with different ethnicities. So that's my definition on diversity. And yeah, like continuing on your definition then, what do you see as the most pressing issue or issues? Um, what comes to mind in terms of 
what, you know, like what this profession is doing well in terms of diversity and what it can do better? I'd say the most pressing issue right now is overcoming the stigma. The stigma of our clients and different individuals thinking that we're trying to nickel and dime them every moment. Um, we're just here for the money and trying to help those individuals understand that we're here to better the quality of life, not only for their pets, for them as well at the end of the day. People are coming in and saying a lot of these things really messes with our mental health also. Because if you, you know, we say sticks and stones, you know, break my bones, but words truly do hurt. And for us to be able to go home at the end of the day, what we're thinking about is, you know, some of the negative comments that we received throughout our workday. And in turn, social media is blowing up. And one bad review could not only mess up, you know, mess you up for that day, but also your career. And I think that that really messes with, you know, mental health also. And to be able to get a bad review, let's say, you know, you're just starting out in the field and you get a bad review on social media. Yes, it hurts. And social media is something that's forever. Internet is forever. So you can get to your 20th anniversary of being a vet and doing amazing work in the field and open your, open the internet up and see that review from day one and it will hurt just the same. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, I totally agree with words do actually hurt. Um, I, I, and I don't really like the words can never hurt me bit. Um, I think like words, words matter. And, and yeah, on the like one bad review can, can be a game changer. I've also unfortunately seen it inside our own ranks, so to speak. Like I've seen, I've, I've got friends who say they're, you know, they don't want to speak up like in a discussion on the internet uh, because, you know, like, you know, they might be afraid that they won't get hired down the line. And yeah. I think that's a shame. It is a shame. I agree with that. And on top of it, going back to what you were talking about, how it also affects, di- you know, diversity, how diversity plays a role is individuals that come into, you know, different clients that come into the field all have a different vision and some a common vision of how a vet should look, how a vet should be. You know? And if we don't fit that description, then some are more inclined to, to say hurtful things, to do hurtful things, you know? And that plays a huge role in trying to get individuals to accept the fact that, you know, there are different types of vets, all shapes and sizes, you know, all colors and races and just understanding that they are there for the common goal of the quality of life of your pet and the quality of life of you and your family and the community as well. Wow, I'm so glad you said community at the very end, because that was going to be my next question. Like growing up, you said in your community in low income community, what is like, or if you remember, what was the perception of veterinary medicine in your community? Like did people 
was it a normal thing for people to take their animals to the vet or like was it a normal thing to for people to have pets in the first place or like what what was the um what was the thought around yeah around veterinary medicine in your community growing up well i grew up in a neighborhood called carver shores in timberleaf in orlando florida um i spent a lot of my time in a another community in Orlando, Florida called Pine Hills. And those that are from Orlando will tell you, there is a lot of stray animals in those communities. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of homeless walking around in those communities and they have pets themselves. You have breeders in those communities that don't know exactly you know, how to be a, a proper breeder or a good breeder. Mm-hmm. And Though they want the animals, they love the animals, there isn't many veterinary facilities around for them to know or a place for them to go to for proper care for their animals. To put it in, to put it in better words, I would say that we lack the opportunity of education in those communities, which in turn is hurting us because individuals knew where to go and that there's individuals there that are willing to help, then they would. But also accessible veterinary care because it is a low income community, though one may know where to go because they don't have the funds, they're not going to. Yeah, I, I just heard this term the other day, uh, veterinary desert. And it, I mean, I think it's the same concept as a food desert, which I, I learned about studying public health. But like, you know, it's one thing to know what's healthy or not to eat, but it's another thing entirely to have access to that. And I think, I mean, it sounds like what you're describing is a veterinary desert. Right. But at the same time, you have to look at the demographic of the community when we're talking about, you know, let, we'll be honest, the community is full of African-Americans, you know, and we don't emphasize, we don't emphasize enough the care and the importance of veterinary medicine in African-American communities. And this is because of, we'll say history, you know, throughout, you know, the African-American community has been attacked by dogs, you know, it's been used against us many a times, you know, throughout history. So, you know, that's one reason why, you know, the community kind of shies away because those are things that we are still trying to break free of. Um, Also, we don't have individuals in our communities um, promoting the field of veterinary medicine to be able to show us, you know, that this is possible, you know, that you can learn about the animals that you have in your, in your, um, in your homes, how to better them um, in your home, which in turn, you're able to educate others in the community, you know? So I think that if we are able to start to reach out to those communities and teach, then, we have an opportunity of bettering that community and 
in turn bettering our society and in turn bringing more individuals into our veterinary facilities. Well, then that sounds like an answer to the question of what can the profession do better? Because I think, you know, you, you might tell some veterinarians that they could be doing a better job in, in the areas that you just spoke about. And they would say, well, why is that up to me? Why is that my job? But nobody else is going to do it for us. It's not like, you know, it's not like dentists are going to go, you know, to low-income communities and talk about access to veterinary medicine. Like that's, that's our job. Right. It is our job. And I, and I think that that's why diversity plays a huge role because we need the individuals that speak these individuals language to be able to make a bigger impact or individuals at least willing to go into those communities, learn their language so that we may be able to better help the, help the animals that are in that community in turn bettering the community. Do you think there is a relationship between um, the lack of diversity in the profession and mental health? I think you touched on that. <laughs> but man, there's a major connection between diversity and mental health. Um, the underrepresented individuals, in my opinion, and also to sit in that position, because the profession is you know, predominantly white, it makes it harder for underrepresented individuals because they feel like they have less resources, feel like they have less allies, which makes the process of getting into vet school and getting through vet school tougher. So then in turn, when you go out to the field, you know, they get scrutiny because of not only their race, sexual orientation. So on top of the stress of trying to formulate a good diagnosis for the best care of the patient, now there's an added tier of stress because now you have the microaggressions of, of clients because you don't fit the description of what that client defines as a vet. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to ask, like, do you, did you feel that, you know, you're talking about with the client, um, do you, did you feel that at Ross and now you're in your clinical year at Missouri? Like, do you feel that like from your classmates at either location? Well, I'm just starting out here at the University of Missouri um, for my class, for my clinical year. And the individuals that I've met have been great. I haven't, um, I haven't so far come across, you know, that type of scrutiny, but I'm just starting out as well. So I still have quite some time to go. So if I do, I'll, I'll call you up and let you know that. <laughs> At Ross University, my class started out around close to 200 individuals. And I was maybe one, there was maybe one or two of us three of us that were black out of a sea of white individuals. Mm. There was a few Puerto Ricans as well. Racism did occur on several occasions. And that was another reason why I entered the position of SAVMA. Mm -hmm. When I first got into Ross University, it was, it was different. I mean, you know, I was an entire, a, an entire different country at this point. And what was different is that the individuals on the islands, I mean, it's predominantly black island, you know, so when an individual comes into the school that's, that is black, 
it's not very many. Um, and so they don't see many. So there was a time when I was walking into school and one of the workers told me to clock in. She pointed at the, when you walk into the school, you gotta show your ID. You gotta show your ID. And instead of asking me for my ID, she pointed at a little box. And I was very confused, wow. <laughs> very confused. And I asked her, you know, what are you pointing at? And she's like, oh, it's the box to clock in. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here for school. I'm here for school. And so it kind of, you know, really surprised her in that, in that moment because there's not many Blacks walking through there on a daily basis. <clears throat> Those few days and that was a new face. So also going into class, you know, and being the only, one of the only Black individuals there you know, it's, it's hard. And I don't know how to go about this, this situation, but if I'm going through this situation, there's many more after me that will also, you know, have to go through this. So I took the position for that reason as well, to be able to emphasize on diversity and make it a better place for those that come after me. And I feel like you know, we did a really good job and we are still doing an amazing job. We even brought in, you know, started a, an organization called the National Association for Black Veterinarians at Ross University. Um, it's one chapter of many that, that are to come. So, we, so I, you know, we took those steps to make that better. But I did, it's because I experienced, you know, a bit of racism at Ross University, but um, that I started a lot, a lot of those things. That's why I did a lot of things that I did at Ross. Um, but Ross is making, has shown to be making better steps at resolving those and making it a safer place for those of different backgrounds to come and learn. And when Jonathan came in and he took this, took the reign after me and he continued to push and push and push and, you know, he pushed the envelope, you know, just like I did. And that's why I was extremely proud of him. And he went harder than I, than, than I expected anybody to go. I saw him, saw him and me, and that's when he, that's when he came in and, and really caught my attention for me to pour into, into him, you know? And I, I just see that him continuously, you know, growing and growing and growing in Ross University when it comes to diversity, growing and getting better at, you know, not only teaching as veterinary medicine, but also making it a safer and better place for us. Okay, so when I asked Jonathan this question, he said, I put him on the spot. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm putting you on the spot, but is, <clears throat> excuse me, is this profession doing enough? I don't think you can ever do enough. I don't, until the situation is completely resolved, I don't think that you could ever do enough. But what I can say is that we're getting better because we're not aware. The awareness alone takes us a long way. And because of that awareness, we're starting to Put those building blocks in place to make it um, better for these individuals coming in on an individual level and also as a community. So 
I would say the, the profession is doing well at now addressing the situation. I, I like what you said. You know, <laughs> we, we, can like, we can really never do enough. Right. But what we can do is put action towards making it better. And I think we're doing that and a good job at it. Um, I think on the, on the same lines is we need to do better at reaching out to these communities and showing them that there is space in the room of veterinary medicine. There is acceptance in the, room, in the field of veterinary medicine because, you know, me growing up as a child, if you go to my neighborhood and you ask somebody, what are you going, where do you see yourself in five, 10 years? They'll look at you crazy. <laughs> They'll look at you crazy and say, man, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to figure out, you know, where my life's gonna be in the next five minutes. I'm trying to make it to tomorrow. You know, because it's just that rough out there. So when you when you come and say, you know, where you see yourself in the next five years, it's it's eye-opening for me because. I was able to find a way out and I was able to find a way to beat that. And so what I feel like my job is now and what the field should be doing is showing individuals that there is a way out and there's a way to be able to create a better life for you and your family. And there's individuals that have done it. So here's, here's how, you know, um, you know, a lot of us really see that the only way out is through probably athletics. You know, and that was that was one of my ways out track and field, you know, got me out and I was able to now make a better life for myself. Here I am now. But there's also other ways. Would you say you beat the odds? I was I would think so. I would say so. And also in a in a profession that doesn't have many like me. African-Americans make maybe less than 2% of the of individuals in the field of veterinary medicine. So I would say, I would say so. It was a tough road and it took a lot of, you know, bumping my head into the wall, you know, different turns like pharmacy school and such, getting hurt in track and field to be able to get myself in position. But everything in life happens for a reason. Um, it's my belief. And I'm here now. So then one way to look at it would be like the work we can do is change the odds, like make it, make it easier for people to beat the odds or change the odds. Yes, especially for um, historically, individuals in historically black universities. I went to a historically black university, like I said before, Bethune-Cookman University in Daytona Beach. But what I've noticed in, in those universities is that they have a pre-vet track and when you're on that pre-vet track, like what happened with me was when I graduated, I realized that there were certain courses that my university did not have to meet the requirements to get into vet school. Mm. There were some courses that were missing. So trying to do the best that we can to better that track also, we have a low amount of individuals at the, at the historically black universities that are interested in veterinary medicine because they don't 
really emphasize that there's a pre-vet track and they don't really emphasize the field itself. So we need to do better about seeking out those individuals, showing them that, you know, we have the courses now and we have a track for you to be able to get into the field of veterinary medicine and into vet school, because I didn't even know how to get into vet school. Like it's thing that I did was trial and error and hope. And, you know, I, I prayed hard on, on a lot of this and, you know, luckily it's, it's working out so far. It's been a tough road, but it's working out. And I think that if we would be able to go into these communities, go into these universities and preach um, of, you know, how to get to vet school so they don't make the same mistakes that I made and doing the best that we can to build that bridge, then, then we'll be able to, to diversify the, the field more efficiently. Yeah, and something I remember from when we met was how a big inspiration for you was your brother, right? Like you wanted to be an example for him. Yes. Um, as we were growing up, you know, we had a troubled childhood. We really did. We had no guidance. Um, we don't have a father, so we don't really, we didn't really know how to be men at an early age. And a lot of things that I was doing when I was younger, um, you know, I used to do this thing, this program called Teens Against Drugs and Alcohol, where they would just give us a box of candy that was from the dollar store. And they would pick us up maybe around, you know, early, early morning could be like, you know, we'll say four or five in the morning. Wow give us this box and drop us off in a completely random neighborhood. We don't even know where they were driving to. We don't know where we are on earth. Drop us off in this random neighborhood with this box of candy. And we were to sell this box of candy for $8. We sell each box, each piece of candy for $8. And at the end of the day, we only got $2 out of that, out of that sale. Hmm. At the end of the day, we didn't get home until maybe close to midnight. So we were out there all day. And trying to be able to make money so that we can have shoes, so we can have school supplies. You know, there were times I would go to school and I would uh, try to sell candy, you know, just to make a little bit of money. You know, me and my brother wanted to be wanted to be able to have nice shoes and things. So we would do that. And what really troubled me, and I'll, I'll tell you an honest story was, you know, there's times we would have to steal, you know, steal some of this stuff so that we can be able to gain funds to give our family a little bit more. And my brother got caught, but I didn't. And it was on my behalf. And I, you know, it tore me apart that my brother's life was slowly going down the drain because of an action of mine, mm. action of our friends, you know? And I, and that really, changed me because I wanted to, I wanted better for him. You know, I wanted him to be great because I knew he could. And now my brother's in Washington, DC, you know, he's working in the white house and he's doing an amazing, amazing job. And I'm so proud of him for that. But I knew in order for him to be great, I had to be an example and I had to do right. So I changed my entire, my entire lifestyle and mentality 
in order to do better solely for my brother. Yeah, I got goosebumps the first time you told me that, and I did just now too. (laughs) That's, I mean, that just sounds like a fairy tale ending. Like you decided to change your character and like now your brother's working in the White House. Yeah, yeah. Um, And to be honest with you, if you go back in time and you speak to individuals, you know, from our neighborhood, and I've gone back to home and spoken to individuals from our church community, and they're like, oh, Junior? He'd probably be, we thought he'd be dead or in jail by now. Long time, <laughs> long time ago, because we were knuckleheads. We were just out here trying to make a better life for ourselves, and we were causing trouble. I'll be honest. We were causing trouble. But I needed to do better because I knew my brother could do better. And I wanted more for my family. I wanted to be there for my family. And also, I didn't want my mother moving here to be in vain. I wanted to do better by her also, which her birthday was two days ago. (laughs) Happy birthday again. Um, Yeah, that was was my drive. That's what got me me correct. And, you know, since we didn't have that father figure, my coaches, you know, that poured into me, uh, Coach Cooper from... Bethune-Cookman University as my track and field coach. Them pouring into me also, Dennis, from before. Those were the men that I looked up to. They had families. They had wives. You know, they had children. They really showed me how a man should be. And if you really wanted to take care of your family, how you should go about it. So, you know, since we didn't have that father figure, I had to try to create some sort of comfortability um, to be able to, you know, show my brother how to do it, you know? And I think that that really played a role in his life, um, which puts us in the position that we are now of, you know, trying to be better men every single day and individuals of society. Oh, that's really impressive. Um, I, Lord knows my brother and I did not get along at all when we were growing up. So I don't <laughs> think either of us would have done that for each other. Oh, I mean, me and my brother had our fair share, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, whenever we, I think my mom really regretted when we started boxing because yes, we were fighting the house, but then when, we, when she put us in boxing, we then came home and we now we were fighting with strategy, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, but also it helped us out in the long run because boxing taught us patience and when, when to be able to, uh, to use this type of, this type of force and it's not needed. It kept us off the streets. Sports kept us off the streets, you know, gave us, you know, a better way to use our time rather than being out in the streets causing trouble. Yeah. Well, I would argue you need strategy and, and politics and in medicine. So right. is helping you out. And the biggest thing was patience. Patience, because, you know, there was a lot of times when we were boxing, individuals that came into the gym that had never boxed in their life as well. And they would just come in the ring and they would just swing, swinging arms, swinging arms, which is pretty dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> but also, it gave them time to tire out. Mm. <laughs> and you need patience. You need a way for them to tire out. Yeah. 
And it gives you time to think the moment they tire out on how to make a better move. It's like chess, when to make a better move. And that's what, and that's what a lot of this was about. It taught us in life when to make better moves and at what time. So, well, <laughs> oh, go ahead. I don't know. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, I, I was going to ask uh, if you had, you know, if you wanted to leave the audience with one thing, but honestly, like that might've been it, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll still ask, I'll still leave it open in case you got one more nugget. One thing that I'll leave the audience with is that it's possible, no matter the vision. I don't want to sound cliche, but even if your ideas sound crazy and everybody doesn't agree with it, go with it because you don't know how many lives you will impact by not doing it. How much of a disservice you will be to the future society by not doing it and how much of a disservice you're doing to yourself by not doing it. You might be that crazy individual that comes up with the next Amazon or, you know, comes up with the next invention that helps the field of veterinary medicine. You know, if you want to be a surgeon within the field, but you want to, you want to find a better method of being, you know, doing the best surgery, less invasive, less painful for the, for your patients, you might be that crazy individual to come up with that. But because there's so many individuals that are, small-minded, they do the best that they can to drive you not to. But it's up to you to take that as a sign and go for it because it is possible no matter what position you're in in life. And trust me, if you go for it, the individuals that you need will fall in place to help you make that happen. And that is possible. I, I love that. I... I can't, I can't hear that and not add something. Uh, it, it reminds me of when I was in fourth year and uh, as an ER rotation and one of the residents found out that I was going into policy after school and not into practice. And she told me that I wasted a spot in veterinary school um, for somebody else who could have had it, who would have gone into practice because that's what vet school is for. And it's like, it's like your counselor who told you, you know, like, wait, you want to go into veterinary medicine? <laughs> Cause she was like, you want to go into policy? And I was like, yeah. And you don't get to make me feel bad about it. Like I, I really want to do that. So too bad. Right. And I think I think you nailed it. Like if if you, you know, if your heart is telling you over and over again that you need to go a certain direction, there's a reason. You know, you better at least at least listen to it. Right. And to be honest with you, her saying that, you know, you want to help animals rather than people, I personally feel like I've helped way more people throughout this journey than I would have, you know, mm -hmm. if I was still in, in pharmacy school, way more people. 
And I'm even out in the out in the field just of yet, just as of yet, I'm still in my clinical year. But um, and to go back to what one thing my coach used to tell me, you know, Dennis told me one time before practice, okay, this is gonna hurt. You know, you're gonna feel the lactic acid. Now that we've got that out of the way and we know it's gonna hurt, <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and get it done. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's kind of addressing that you know the road is gonna be hard. Now that you know, let's go ahead and get it done. So <laughs> I think that that's more so what I would say. Let's go ahead and, you know, be willing to put in the work and be determined. Know that it's going to hurt, but it's going to have a better ending in the long run. And you'll be able to help more individuals in the long run by the sacrifices that you make now. Yeah. And I've got like two separate reactions. Yes, totally agree. Let's go and get it done. And I like what you said about, you know, helping more people because you went the route that you did than you would have if you stayed in something that, wasn't fulfilling and that you didn't really care about or have a passion for like that's that totally resonates like you you have you have to you have to do what what inspires you or else you're not gonna get much done in the first place right you need to love what you're learning in order to truly be a contribution to that community and also live a better life for yourself. If you're going to, if you're going to do something you hate, you know, this is a, I forgot where I read this quote. If you're going to do something that you hate, you're going to find an excuse to get out of it. I'm not about to spend four years of my life learning some information that I'm going to find an excuse to get out of later, you know, and the field of veterinary medicine is that answer for me. I can do this day in and day out without getting tired or without being mad about my decisions. And I can impact way more lives and feel good about it at the end of the day because I'm professing something that I love. Just like pastors, they're professing things that they love. They love the Lord. They're preaching every, every Saturday, every Sunday. My family's Seventh-day Adventist, so we go to church on Saturdays but they love what they do and that's why they're there. And this is it for me. You said you could do it without getting tired. You get back to me at the end of the fourth year. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, <laughs> no, <I'm teasing. laughs> we all gain that compassion <laughs> at some point in time, but you know, that's another thing when you were talking about earlier about mental health, you know, you gotta be able to, you know, work-life balance. And I think that that's another thing that the field is doing well, well with, is addressing work-life balance and being able to conquer for compassion fatigue. And also the field has so many different turns you can make, so many different things that you can do to where you can just kind of revamp, you know, kind of take a step back and say, well, you know, I've done general practice, you know, let me go ahead and see what live animal has to offer. You know, or maybe I want to work, you know, in marine life. It has so many different turns. And that's one thing that I love about the field is the, the diversity um, of opportunity. So there's many ways you can, you can, you know, get over the, compa- the compassion fatigue and keep pushing. Yeah, that's honestly one of the biggest reasons I 
um, when I, I chose veterinary school uh, because I was, I, I did television production for six years and I knew I wanted to do something different. I wasn't sure exactly what, so I did a bunch of research and found exactly what you said, the diversity of opportunity in veterinary medicine was greater than in any other profession. So I, I just, I wanted to go to school and not have to go back again. <laughs> and so I thought veterinary medicine would do that. Um, and so far, so good. You see, hopefully, hopefully when I, when I'm done with fourth year, <laughs> I'll yeah. say the same thing. Yeah. Well, Junior, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. I, I promised Jordan, our executive director, that I'd keep it under an hour, but I'm not sure how well I did with that promise. <laughs> well, I appreciate the opportunity. You know, this is opportunities like this and uh, that really give the opportunity to be able to speak out to uh, individuals and, you know, give recognition to those that are doing great in the communities and, you know, also address the issues that we're having within our community. So it gives an opportunity to, you know, open individuals' eyes and also seek and gain perspective of, of others on how you can better, you know, what you're doing on a day on your daily life, myself as well. You know, yeah. so I really appreciate the opportunity. And I um, when I speak to Jonathan, I'll thank him as well for, you know, you know, pushing me towards you guys. So yeah, for both of you, I think we can say um, we knew them when. <laughs> well, we, knew, I, we knew them before they made it big time. Well, I mean, hopefully we will. Um, we're doing the best that we can. But, you know, right now, we're still fighting with the school. Yeah. With all those that, uh, that are on board with us and coming after us, helping them get through and do the, and do the same. So hopefully we'll be able to get the, I have a feeling we'll be able to get the job done. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got faith. I don't even need to cross my fingers. <laughs> so it's great talking with you and take care. You as well. You have a great one. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.